Welcome to the NPX Innovation Chattelist Podcast, the podcast where we talk to innovative leaders in the nuclear industry and beyond. I'm your host, Margaret Macbeth, co-founder and innovation catalyst at NPX. Today we're speaking with Todd Warnell, Chief Information Officer at Bruce Power. All right. Uh, hello and welcome to uh, beautiful Kincardin. We are here podcasting today from the NPX office, and we have joining us Todd Warnell, who is the Chief Information Officer at Bruce Power. Welcome, Todd. Good afternoon, Margaret. How are you? Great. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. So want to just start off by introducing you a bit. Uh, you've been with Bruce Power a bit over a year now, um, leading the IT division and digital transformation at Bruce Power. Uh, prior to that, you were with Loblaws for what looks like uh, quite an interesting career with several um, important roles, one of which I was very interested in, uh, S- uh, Senior Director of Store Communications and Air Traffic Control. So we'll have to dig into that a little bit. Absolutely. Happy to <laughs> shed some light on that kind of uh, you know, unique title and what, what it meant. Certainly. Uh, I also know um, that you are an uh, outdoor lover. I um, follow you on Instagram, devoted father of uh, three, and a uh, proud Tesla owner. Very much so, yes. <laughs> all of those, all the above are true. <laughs> so I thought we'd start off with uh, uh, sort of an easy question. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Cybertruck unveil? <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Uh, you know, the Cybertruck unveil um, is, you know, interesting on a couple points. First of all, um, not having a truck is not an option if you really want to, you know, accelerate um, sustainable transport. Um, so first that they're delivering in that category, really great. Um, you know, the actual design of it is jarring, um, but at the same time, I think really exciting. Again, showing that um, there's there's just curio- you know curiosity and courageousness to go after a design that's you know unpredictable uh, and might have you know garnered a reaction that you know really didn't have 200,000 plus people pre-order it <laughs> coming out of the launch weekend. Um, so I think it's really great in the sense of driving into a category that needs to be there to really win in sustainable personal transport. Um, and fundamentally, when you look at the technology behind why it's so planar, you know, it's a really hard steal. It makes sense logically after the fact. Sure. At first view, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Were you uh, one of the pre-orders? For reservations? I might have put down a reservation, um, much like we did a Model 3 many years ago. Again, we're, we have, a, as a family, have committed to do the best we can uh, in, uh, you know, lowering our carbon footprint and, uh, you know, enjoying technology and innovation that leapfrogs what's in the market at the same time is also a great hobby of mine. So uh, it goes hand in hand with that. Wonderful. Awesome. Um, I also noticed that you seem to be quite an avid uh, music lover. Uh, so I'm curious, what was your uh, first concert? My first concert um, actually didn't do a lot of concerts, a kind of commercial concerts at scale. Um, my family's from uh, Nova Scotia and the okay. East Coast. And so we had lots of uh, personal sized concerts, kitchen parties per se, um, <laughs> with all family members and neighbors. You know, it started from my earliest ages. Um, so whether it be the fiddles out, the guitars, the pianos, um, that was, those were my first concerts. I think my first real commercial kind of large scale concert, I think was actually a U2 concert uh, oh, wow. down at <laughs> when it was formerly known as Skydome. Um, so going back a bit, so you can start to guess my age a bit. Um, but uh, that would have been my first kind of big scale kind of true, you know, commercial artist concert. Awesome. So when did you actually move up to Bruce County? So we've been here in Bruce County now since uh, the summer of 2015. 
Um, and uh, it was a, a really tremendous opportunity to raise our young family here in the shores of Lake Huron uh, in beautiful Bruce County and to have an opportunity at a really challenging career uh, in what is essentially cottage country. Um, and so we leaped at the opportunity uh, and it's been a tremendous move both personally for our family uh, and has gone very well professionally for both my, my wife Monica and I. Amazing. Um, so maybe we can jump into your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path? Um, how did you go from what looks like a background in, in business and project management to your, your current role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty eclectic background when you look through my LinkedIn or my resume. Um, and fundamentally, you know, I've spent a career starting as early as when I was in university doing summer student jobs um, around Y2K, uh, you know, the, the big scary Y2K back in the day. And I was, uh, you know, went into some summer school opportunities or, you know, summer employment opportunities that I looked like a wizard because I could do things like VLOOKUPs and create access databases uh, and fundamentally start to roll out some early web-based reporting tools yeah. for um, what is one of Canada's largest employers. Um, and that was really kind of a passion of blending my business you know, education and training with my technology hobby. I've always been a geek from the earliest ages uh, and it really became this really powerful niche to be honest. And my career from there you know, kind of kept going through areas that were trying to apply technology in innovative ways um, and it brought me to many facets of a really large organization. You know, I spent time in what was formerly known as a financial systems team. You know, I did you know, work in retail operations and supply chain and full national retail management. You, know, you mentioned store communications right. and air traffic control. Fundamentally was an entire planning function for how things happen across thousands of stores coast to coast and how you do that in a way that makes sense for the people in the store, makes sense for customers, and makes sense for new programs and capabilities rolling out. So it was probably the most perfect blend of people, process, and technology that I ever had the chance to be in. And um, you know, fundamentally what I've done in my career is go into areas that needed um, either change, that I can come inside. I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a blower upper, but I like <laughs> to break things apart and put them back together in a better way. Um, so it, sometimes it was you know, creating new capabilities, new teams, or and sometimes it was just taking something that wasn't quite yet at the level it needed to be and just being able to put the right leadership practices, people, and decision-making in place to make them better than what they were. Awesome. Um, and what, what drove the move to Bruce Power? So the, the drive to Bruce Power was a random event that has turned into an awesome outcome. <laughs> um, the random event being a uh, cold call recruit you know, recruiter call to my wife, Monica. Oh, wow. That's what started our journey here. Um, both of us were living in Toronto, working in companies that we loved. We had just fin finished renovating a house that was going to be our forever house. Um, and literally a random call from a recruiter changed everything. Oh, wow. And it started the conversation into, oh, what if? Oh, what if? And it became what we are now, um, which was that, again, that opportunity to trade in Toronto traffic. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Toronto. Born and raised in Toronto. <laughs> I still believe it's among one of the best cities, if not the best city in the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, the reality of traffic and the challenge of commute takes away from really my core love, which is time with my family. Um, and so that was really that cold call from a recruiter started the journey here. Um, it was my wife, uh, Monica, that actually was uh, pathing towards a role with Bruce Power. And I decided, hey, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to try to change the world in a different way and uh, try to find my way into, um, you know, the Bruce Power community and was able to do that uh, successfully in a, a contract role originally, which then turned into successive roles to lead me to here today as the, you know, the new CIO of Bruce Power in this year. Yeah, incredible. Um, what surprised you about the nuclear industry? What... 
What surprised me about nuclear um, is that um, when you're on the outside looking in, uh, there's a, there's this feeling that it's an old technology, that it's it hasn't changed in forever, and that it's just there generating electricity at scale. And when you get the opportunity to walk any of the power plants or to meet the workforce, you see it's completely the opposite. Um, there is a ton of change that happens, not in the same level or scale of innovation that's happening in other industries, but the the ability to make innovative change at scale, I think is unparalleled. Um, and to really to jump into that. And so when you're on the outside looking in, I don't think there's a real appreciation of that. Um, there's this concept or this feeling that it's just a an old technology. And when you get here and see it through your own eyes, it's very, very changing. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a lot of misconceptions, not only about the industry, but about the, the pace of innovation and openness for it. Um, in your role as, as CIO, what does that entail? What does your day-to-day -day look like? So day-to-day -day as CIO at Bruce Power is um, really trying to set the tone and vision for where we want to be going. Um, you know, the, the IT function or the information technology function at Bruce Power, you know, is really going through a period of significant change in and of itself. Until there was a framework for a long-term deal and the ability to, you know, safely operate this site for another, you know, couple decades, if we can continue to earn that right, there really wasn't a lot of investment in technology. It was a bit of standstill until we knew that there was a long-term possibility. And now that there is, and we continue to earn that right to do so, um, you know, there's a massive demand for technology. Technology has changed dramatically, especially in the last 15 years. And of course, the actual commercialization of technology and what we all walk around in our pockets compared to what you typically find in some old uh, industrial manufacturing sites, it's very different. And so really enabling um, the organization at scale to do the right work with the right tool sets. Uh, and fundamentally, my job and my team's job is to get out of their way. We are to enable platforms safely, that we know that our security cleared, they, they handle information the right way based on the unique situation that we are a nuclear generator uh, and making sure that we can do that safely um, so that we can allow you know the thousands of people in the workforce collectively at Bruce Power and our surrounding partner communities to get the work done that they need to do. It's a very complex organization. So what are some of the, the big challenges you've run up against so far? Yeah, I think it's an organization that's, that's learning to uh, think and act like a true enterprise. Um, and so that's the biggest change, you know, at the human factor level. Um, it's, it's an organization that traditionally operated almost as separate units. You know, Bruce A was a bit different than Bruce B and almost an old management style of competing with each other. Um, and that was permeated, you know, through the management uh, kind of structure and, and behaviors. So getting the organization to learn that it is actually a full enterprise um, and continuing that journey towards enterprise thinking um, is, a, is a big opportunity and challenge that I'm really excited about. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we've come a long way, but I think we still have some opportunity there to close that out. You know, and, and fundamentally, I think the biggest challenge is recognizing that Bruce Power is currently the world's largest generating nuclear site. Um, and um, we should, you know, really take pride in that. And I think it's a bit Canadian of us, to be honest, that sure. we're not talking <laughs> about that, that we don't come out and say that, um, and that it's, it's an opportunity that we should be the leaders in this space, as opposed to sometimes looking over our shoulders saying, hey, what else is someone else doing? 
why aren't we taking those leadership positions in some of those areas? And we've seen that already. We've seen glimmers um, of, you know, Bruce Power coming into that newness. Um, you know, look at the medical isotopes Absolutely, program yeah. um, and recognizing that these assets, these really uh, amazing machines that generate electricity also have some tremendous capabilities in other, uh, you know, industries and, and uh, innovative sectors. Amazing. Um, you obviously lead a team that's that's trying to do uh, big things at Bruce Power and, and drive a lot of change. So how do you get your team uh, thinking in an innovative way, creatively, um, and pushing them to drive that change? Yeah, you know, that's always the conundrum. What is innovation? How do you drive innovation? And so the approach I've taken is that um, I'm not the idea guy. I'm not the person. But what my job is to um, give people the confidence and the freedom to make decisions. That's what I can do to drive innovation. And that's what I'm trying to do with my leadership team. That's what I'm trying to do at all ranks and by, you know, all the team members at all levels to say, you have the permission, you have the skill, you have the knowledge to make decisions. Of course, you have to do that in a nuclear framework. You know, it's a different concept when someone's standing in front of a valve and they're saying, hey, should I turn a, you know, a valve handle one way or the other? That's not you know, a time to be innovative. I'm just gonna try something. But you, when you're operating in a knowledge mode and you're trying out some new technologies that might be able to, you know, automate or innovate, you know, some processes that are a bit old, maybe archaic, maybe paper driven, we have permission to actually try things, to learn by doing and recognizing that there are those safe modes that people can be innovative in. And there are modes there we don't want people ever to be innovative in and being comfortable with that framework. Yeah, amazing. Uh, interesting and not a small a small task by any means. <laughs> not at all. And again, because you know a core behavior of a nuclear professional is stop when unsure. And again, that example is you want that absolutely ingrained in all of our workforce in that moment when you're standing in front of something that you don't really know. But applying that just as a blanket everywhere then also then becomes a bit of a hindrance to people having the desire to try. Um, and so providing that safe space that hey, you can make decisions, you can try things because you know you're operating in a safe envelope and you're not operating anything actually close to the actual generation assets. Um, that's a very different mindset to get people comfortable with. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's important. Um, curious about, uh, you know, sort of how you, how you lead and how you, um, how you motivate your team. Like what is, um, you know, what is that, what is that style and, and how did you come to it? Um, my style is very easy. I'm just Todd. <laughs> um, it, it's been who I am. I think it's through not a, you know, a Machiavellian. I haven't chosen to be this way. I just am. Um, and it, when you come across with authenticity, um, you can understand and listen. Um, you can understand and decide. Uh, and fundamentally, you know, the team that you're working with for or beside, you know, they can trust you. Uh, so it's really about establishing that that community of trust um, with you as an individual, with a broader team, uh, and you know just that we're we're comfortable um, trusting each other to, to do the right thing at the moment. It's okay um, to make a decision that you need to change, as long as you recognize that and go forward. You know from that point forward, um, that's really the key opportunity that I try to provide, and that's a leadership style I've always had my entire career. Um, is that uh, you know you're you, it's a safe space to work with and around. Great. Um, I'm sure you're a mentor to, to many people, but I'm curious about your mentors along the way. Any any kind of standouts or stories you can share around mentorship? Yeah, of course. Um, I spent a lot, large part of my career uh, in the Loblaw, uh, you know, family of companies, and uh, I had the great fortune of working um, with and for uh, some tremendous leaders um, that really, truly drove 
um, a, a drive for work-life balance um, for family first um, while still driving some great accomplishments. Um, so there's a, too many of them to name. I was very fortunate to be honest, but um, I've really, you know, taken from them and say that that's possible. Um, and, you know, it's, it's who I was in the beginning. It's who I've, take, I've taken that with me as well into who I am going forward um, and really tried to uh, emulate where they were successful in a similar way. Um, you know, the, when you go into some of the big, you know, innovative names or where people would go as mentors, of course, you look at someone like, uh, you know, Barack Obama is just a, an amazing orator uh, because as a leader, you, your job is to empower and impassion people. And as humans, one of the great ways we do that is in person, much like we're doing right now. Um, and so always trying to look at ways to communicate effectively uh, in a powerful way and helping people, especially in our line of work as technologists, to take what are usually some pretty complex concepts and bring them down to messages that matter to them. Um, so those are some of the key leaders. And, you know, going back to the Tesla comment earlier, um, you know, Elon, he's, he's eccentric. He's, you know, he's just almost just drives for breaking things and making things happen that most people think is not possible. Um, so I definitely love that, that ethos of really driving at things that most people say, you're, you're nuts. You'll not be able to create a <laughs> rocket better than NASA. You won't be able to do that at scale. You won't be able to, you know, do, you know, reusable launch vehicles, electric cars, that's not going to work. And yet here we are, yeah. um, you know, only a few short years later with all of those things. And I only look at, uh, you know, we need more of those types of um, innovators to really drive dramatic change. Um, that's where some of those big disruptions come from. Um, and, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing more of those innovators and disruptors popping out of, you know, our workforce, uh, you know, across the globe. Yeah, it's interesting. You really do need people like like Elon. I mean, we make fun of him for some of the, the mishaps during things like the Cybertruck unveil, but that willingness to take a risk, to, to be vulnerable in a sense, um, is what drives Abs important change. Absolutely. It's really that concept that, you know, risk is not a thing for him, right? Well, we can do that. Well, let's just get to it. You know, grab a couple people, start going from there and recognizing that the ingenuity and the power of people coming together around a common vision um, has almost unstoppable power. Um, and you look at some of the, the challenges facing us as a, as a planet over the next number of years, you know, you look at some of the um, climate change and decarbonization, you know, you need more of that type of innovative thinker, disruptive thinker to start to go and tackle problems that people say can't be done. Why can't we decarbonize the atmosphere at scale? What are some of the technological approaches or disruptive approaches we can and should be, you know, going after in addition to decarbonizing our electricity grids and doing great things in uh, overall switch to, you know, long-term sustainable low carbon power? Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that the nuclear industry has a, a key role in that. So I'd like to get your thoughts. Where do you sort of see the industry going and its role in terms of uh, fighting climate change and a more sustainable energy future? Yeah, I think when you step back and look at the facts of nuclear, and to be candid, um, before coming into nuclear, I, would, I wouldn't say I was pro or against nuclear. It just was. Um, and I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm here towing a party line. Like when you look at the facts of nuclear and the ability to generate you know, electricity at scale um, and the you know, a, a capacity and safety unparalleled when you look at the total life cycle of any other generation, including some more sustainable ones that people, you know, gravitate towards in wind and solar, um, it is really unmatched when you look at the facts. 
Um, so, you know, continuing to generate new electricity uh, to meet the global demand um, through nuclear is a great way to continue to drive down um, the decarbonization of our economies. I think the the future um, for nuclear, however, is probably in new form factors in nuclear, small modular reactors. Again, even though um, I'm sitting here saying that large scale nuclear works and it's a great, you know, um, base load generation and capacity for, you know, the electrification of our economies. Um, the reality is just the capital cost usually associated up front is usually a deterrent. Even though when you look at the long term of the actual generation of that site it is actually incredibly cost effective. But, you know, the the political cycle, the social license cycle doesn't really think in 40 or 50 year cycles. It might be thinking in, in election cycles. So you have a really short term to really convince people that it's the right thing to do. So when you look at, you know, the innovation in nuclear, um, you know, the, the actual advent of small modular reactors is really where I believe nuclear at scale will go long term. Uh, because the ability to deploy, whether it's small modular reactors to remote communities, whether it's the ability to respond to, you know, power outage situations, maybe driven by climate, climate change, uh, and fundamentally the ability to take, you know, essentially modular items and scale as opposed to having to big, you know, build a big thing, uh, I think is really uh, the way a lot of the world is going. Even the way you see the way technology works and, and, you know, containerization, you know, the same concept of small modular and then scaling those is actually way more powerful than doing one big large thing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very exciting time in the industry with life extension and then sort of being on the, the verge of new nuclear. Um, and one thing I, I always, you know, we've got a number of young people working for us. Um, and when we think about sustaining the future of the industry, it's going to require talented people to, uh, you know, to be attracted to, to the industry and to, to come on board and bring new skills. So curious, you know, kind of speaking to, uh, to younger people, what do you see as the advantages of a career in nuclear? Um, I'll say it's the advantage to uh, any career, to be honest, is the ability to use your brain. Um, you know, the most powerful and innovative thing ever created uh, is the human brain itself and the power of being able to take something that's there and reimagine something better on top of that and continually refactor that, um, I think is probably the most innovative thing ever created. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to apply that in nuclear um, is really quite a unique opportunity. You know, to be able to be at the heart of generating electricity at scale um, in a, you know, a, a low carbon environment um, that is necessitated by, you know, global, you know, climate change. Um, I think that's the real call to action here is, you know, driving a future that can be sustainable is really quarterbacked right now on large scale nuclear and being able to apply, um, you know, new workforce, new think, new line of thinking into what we do today, uh, I think is a tremendously exciting opportunity. Um, and uh, the best way to do that is to come see, right? And again, a lot of people just have a lot of um, misconceptions or not even a conception at all, which is probably the most, you know, uh, impactful thing is they don't really have an opinion on nuclear. Um, come see it. Come see, you know, uh, either through our virtual career fairs, um, go see the, you know, any of the visitor centers here in Ontario for any of our nuclear generating sites. Um, and fundamentally, come meet people. We, we get work done and we connect through people, whether it's through, you know, uh, communities of people in Bruce Power, through our partners like NPX, um, you know, come see it through their eyes. That's probably the best way uh, to really get people excited about this opportunity. Uh, thinking about the start of your career, if you could go back and talk to younger Todd, um, you know, just starting out from school, what, what advice would you give? It's a really good question. 
Um, I think the, the advice I'd give to young Todd and to anyone starting a new career is um, be bold, right? Um, be, be strong in your convictions um, and be comfortable with challenging um, the status quo um, more often than you think you are allowed to do so um, because you can really drive dramatic change uh, if you start asking the right questions um, and just really use your natural curiosity as a key differentiator in who you are in whatever career you're in uh, because it actually can really set you off on some really exciting paths. To be candid, I'm sitting in this chair today as the CIO Bruce Power because I love to ask questions. I'm really curious. I like to get into areas that are entirely new to me, uh, understand them deeply, and then start to drive change. It's a really powerful you know, capacity we have as humans to do that. And I'd strongly encourage everyone to take advantage of that. Don't be the shy person in the corner. Don't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. You asking a simple question can really change the outcome of that meeting, can change the outcome of your career, and can change the outcome of the globe or that industry just because you let your curiosity flourish. I could not agree more. I think it's funny the way our, our things that we don't think are relevant necessarily to our career paths can actually change our lives quite dramatically. So speaking of curiosity, what is, uh, what is driving your curiosity right now? What are you curious about? What are you interested in? Um, well, definitely the, the, the full electrification of transport. Um, that was a, a passion of mine before coming here. I'm not just trying to, you know, buttress what we do here at Bruce Power, um, but fun, that fundamental shift from um, carbon intensive transport into electrification and the implication that has, um, not only just in the electrification, but then the shift to true autonomous transport um, and what that means for, you know, our, our cities and the way we work. Like it has some really fundamental changes uh, that are exciting and in some cases terrifying that that may have. But you look at, you know, some of the opportunities ahead, you know, even just in, you know, you look at ride sharing and I had the opportunity to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak a few weeks ago and he talked about, you know, the age for an innovation um, matters at that time um, because who would have thought in New York City back in 1980 that you would just get into a stranger's car because you beckoned it on some device, you would get into that stranger's car and they would take you anywhere you want to go safely. And sure, that idea existed, could have existed, and could have worked, but the environment of that time didn't allow it to work. Now we have the opportunity to go any city in the world, essentially, and jump into whether it's an Uber or Lyft or any equivalent service, um, and you're, you're literally just that trust factor through technology uh, has changed a fundamental way we do transport. Um, I think there's only massive change to come, uh, you know, in, in a really exciting way, but uh, it'll also open up some, you know, opportunities or challenges that we hadn't thought of. Right. What when you shift away, um, you know, from, you know, not needing your own car because you're just using autonomous transport. How does that change the actual urban landscape? Well, I don't need a driveway. I don't need a garage. I don't need this. How does it change home design and, and the knock on effects that come from that? I think the 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 scaled network effect of that type of change is really exciting to me. I think that is exciting. There's actually a, a startup in Arizona that is just broken ground on a car free neighborhood. So I don't think it's that. I mean, the future is now. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. That area. Um, awesome. I want to uh, open it up to our team to ask some questions of you. Uh, so anyone want to start us off? Uh, Richa asked about your favorite flavor of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, so Richa, my, um, my family uh, calls me boring in that sense because <laughs> there is nothing better than just plain old chocolate ice cream. And whether it's on a, a waffle cone or in a milkshake, nothing can beat it. I will arm wrestle anybody. <laughs> so question was around... Um, mistakes that you've made in your in your career that have uh, helped you get to where you are today 
this is going to sound like a, a really corny answer. Um, I don't really see a lot of mistakes in my past, not because I'm perfect, is because I don't view them as mistakes, um, is that everything is a learning opportunity. Um, sure, there's a, there's a particular meeting or a particular interaction with a, a leader that maybe didn't go the way you expected it, but you learn from that, regroup, reshape, and go back at it in a different way. Um, so um, I hope that doesn't sound too corny, but that's truly how I view it. They've all been learning opportunities that I have been able to leverage uh, to navigate whatever that next step was for me, my team, or you know the organization I was working for at that time. Probably some of the, uh, the ones that are memorable to me um, was going into uh, a number of um, early meetings when I was just starting my career. And, you know, I was very convinced that, you know, the technology we were there and, and presenting was just going to change their world and it was going to be just game changing and they should just, great, when do we start? And then running into a brick wall going, no, no, we can't do that. That doesn't work for this reason. It doesn't go work for this reason. Um, and I remember going back to a, a particular leader and saying, I don't understand how you don't see this possibility. And uh, they said, I don't understand how you don't understand our business. And it was just a bit of a personal interaction uh, that caught me a bit off guard, to be honest. Uh, because up until that point, um, you know, this particular leader uh, was an ally. They were, you know, working with us alongside. Uh, but they, they switched to back up their team as opposed to backing up the idea where we were going. Um, and so recognizing that even though you have um, allies that you believe you're working well with, be prepared for sometimes that can switch dramatically for reasons that are valid for that individual at that time. But be prepared for that. It really caught me off guard. Um, but that's uh, definitely items that you want to make sure you know the full stakeholder list, not just the people you're working with and more directly for. Make sure you know who's behind them because no matter, they could be a minor player, could be, you know, could be a detractor or a promoter, you need to have an awareness of that. So that's definitely some of the, the biggest learning I had early in my career. So every day I relax and unwind after, you know, a day at work um, by going home and recharging with my family, to be candid. Um, you know, they are our everything. Um, they are our future for who we are as a family. Um, and just, you know, seeing their energy and what they've accomplished that day, what challenges, what opportunities they took advantage of in school, in sport, um, and in friendship, uh, that's how I recharge. Um, and that's, that's the everyday, you know, kind of go home. I'm a very social person, which I'm, I'm sure a, a few of you have, have experienced. Um, so I recharge in groups. I recharge by being around people and learning, uh, hearing the curiosity from others and learning collectively. So that's definitely whether it's over, you know, a drink with friends or at an event. Um, those are my favorite times to recharge and relax. Um, of course, you can always then, I like throwing myself down ski hills in the winter. Um, so that's always a great uh, family activity that we love to do and uh, really enjoy, you know, just being active and outdoors as much as possible year round. Question was around work-life balance and your rule book for how to actually achieve that. So it's, um, I'm going to come back to the, I just operate as Todd, even though I have this new expanded capacity. Um, I am still the same person that I was before I took this role. Um, and uh, the, what I do best to maintain that work-life balance, and, I, and I, I know I used that reference you know, the, to that terminology earlier in the interview because people resonate with that. I actually don't believe in the concept of work-life balance. There's just life. And you know, in that moment, depending on what's happening, you're going to give a little bit more to what's going on maybe in your employed you know, situation. And in some situations, you're going to give more to your family. And finding that right balance um, in life is really the key thing. Um, 
I think I'm really good at saying no, to be candid. Um, I've been able to do that in my career and not in no and walk away, push back from the table. No, here's why we won't do that. Or no, here's why we shouldn't do that. Or no, here's why we're not doing that now. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with the, the velocity of change, no matter what organization you're in, you know, accepting and being comfortable with that is not going to ever get to a normal level. Change is the constant. And so picking the right, you know, actions, the right paths, that's the key differentiator that I use to really maintain that right balance for myself and my family. Barat's question was about uh, your advice for what companies like NPX, other uh, suppliers to the nuclear industry can really do to drive innovation and make the industry successful. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the biggest opportunity we have collectively in the nuclear family, Barath, is is again showing that what we do as an industry is not just about electrons going through wires. It is fundamentally about investing in our communities. It's investing in partners and driving innovation partners towards us to help us challenge the status quo, to actually innovate at scale. Maybe that's not, you know, recognized, um, you know, elsewhere and taking that innovation and making it part of our brand, right? Um, because if people do just think nuclear is old, it's on the side, then they're always going to think that way. We need to be a bit more actually in you know the public space and talking about here's what we are doing um, and taking these assets um, and spinning them into new uses as well. Again, I'll, I'll reference the, the the expansion into medical isotopes as we we look at you know growing you know medical concerns and cancer growth you know globally. You know the ability to take these assets that you know were only designed to generate electrons so that we can turn on light bulbs and actually now to be able to create innovative new medical isotopes that help save lives. Um, that's but one new exciting use case. There are hundreds more. How do we apply these really incredibly, you know, amazing machines to do more than what they were originally intended uh, and to do that in a way that's responsible for the community, responsible for, you know, the community that works for us, around us, with us, uh, and fundamentally as an economic, you know, driver um, for the communities that are, you know, you know fortunate to house uh, nuclear generation in their backyard. Uh, so question is around uh, coming into the nuclear industry. Were there any uh, myths, urban legends around nuclear that, that were debunked for you? Um, I think I had a pretty good handle coming into nuclear of what the, you know, the, the particular myths were. Um, but, in, you know, with respect to the question around, you know, people always go to the nuclear fuel, the, you know, the, the expended fuel um, and being able to see it on site that of all the fuel that's been used, uh, both originally at Douglas Point and in the Bruce reactors, um, and the tiny volume of space it takes versus people think it's, you know, just acres and acres and acres and stacks and stacks and stacks of spent nuclear fuel, and it is the complete opposite. So again, going back to my comment earlier of come see what is actually here, and whether it's here in Bruce County, whether it's in our nuclear, you know, uh, families, in, uh, down in Darlington and Pickering um, or elsewhere around the world, you know, take that, take that initiative, go see what it looks like uh, and start to educate yourself further. Um, there's some really tremendous uh, resources at our fingertips that just take a little bit of effort, just takes that, you know, get past the initial inertia uh, to do so. Um, and uh, that would be kind of my reply to that question. Question was, uh, what industry do you think nuclear could learn from in terms of technology and processes? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question, by the way. Um, I think the, the 
approaches. I don't think it's necessarily industry verticals, um, but the concept of uh, you know continuous integration, uh, you know agile design development, uh, and applying those in in you know situations that make sense for um, you know nuclear power, and whether it's in designing you know new tooling um, that can do the work um, of uh, you know, an automate work that puts humans at risk in an industrial setting, you know, being able to apply that in a, in a more agile fashion versus, um, you know, traditional kind of long run waterfall approaches, I think are, you know, and you can pick that up from any technology industry, from any, um, you know, even retail industry, from any kind of fast moving industry uh, to go after uh, some of those practices. And, um, you know, showing that the value of continuous prototyping is actually more valuable than spending uh, a lot of times really long design cycles that end up in a product that the ultimate customer didn't want. Um, so I think that continuous rapid prototyping is really a big opportunity uh, for nuclear and just large industrial sites at large. Um, when you get into uh, you know full 3D printing of you know large scale fabricated components, um, I think that is a, you know a real game changer that we can do today. The technology exists. Um, how do we you know show because it's new that it's not dangerous? And you do that through rapid development, prototyping, showing, modeling digitally, and going after um, you know the the tried and true practice is absolutely a, you know a, a good practice. But we can also apply some different approaches uh, that would allow us to innovate in a, a much more kind of effective manner to decide that work that didn't, that work that didn't, at a faster pace. I'll, I'll ask a final question. Sure. Uh, wrap us up. Uh, do you have a favorite innovation? A favorite innovation. I think I gave that answer away earlier when I said actually the human brain itself. Right. Um, and uh, depending where you are on a belief spectrum, created whatever, um, you know, just happened to be here. Um, I think that is by far um, the, the greatest innovation that exists on our known planet today. Uh, because if you look back at innovation from the concept of someone, hey, I think I can send communications wirelessly. Um, oh, I can like turn it in the radio. I can turn that into, hey, we have this telephone thing now and we can turn that into you know, a device that you walk around in your pocket that's more powerful and can do more than anyone ever could have imagined is really the output of continuous innovation. And that continuous innovation happens because of the human brain and human ingenuity and taking what was there and making it better. Um, I don't think there's anything more innovative than that ability itself. Yeah, I agree completely. Innovation is human. <laughs> great. Thank you so much, Todd. This was a great chat. Really uh, interested to hear about your journey uh, and your insights on uh, innovation in the industry. So thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you, Margaret. I, I appreciate the afternoon and the opportunity to uh, chat with you and the team. Thanks for listening to the NPX Innovation Chatalyst Podcast. To subscribe and listen to past episodes, you can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever podcasts are available.